Excellent, excellent, excellent job. Really appreciate uh, him so very much. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I'd invite you to... At the end of the service, before we make the announcements, I've been asked to lead Wednesday night. Okay. Okay. We don't usually do that, but we often do it. Okay. That's called a confrontational announcement right there. <laughs> he just got right there. Okay, all right, we'll take it. <laughs> if I'm red in the face, because that one caught me off guard there a little bit. You don't ever want to see a deacon walking up to you right before you begin a sermon and standing you face to face. It's usually meaning, okay, friend, you can go ahead and find your way outside. And, and if this wasn't my last day, I would have probably thought that. Uh, no, turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16, and in just a few minutes, I'm going to read from uh, verse 17 on. Uh, I'm not sure where I've been told this or where I've picked this up, but over the years, I've, I've come to embrace two principles, kind of two life lessons that uh, serve me well, and, and maybe you've been served by these as well. Uh, maybe this is something I've heard from a parent or from a, uh, a wiser person, but one of those principles is simply leave a place better than you found it. You ever heard that phrase? Uh, maybe, maybe you're renting a, a space for a party or for a, an occasion, and, and it's easy just to leave the garbage in the cans or leave the chairs as you need them, but a good lesson is to leave it better than you found it. Uh, I, I teach in a classroom that's shared by many other faculty members, and when I walk in and they've left the board all filled with all their stuff and they didn't straighten back up the chairs, I kind of go, you know what, you should have left it better than you found it. And so I, I'm always real careful to clear off the board and make sure all the technology is able to be ready for the next person, get the chairs back in order. I know that we've moved a couple times, and as you're leaving an apartment or a house, there's a temptation, just, just go, just leave. But there's a wisdom behind leaving it better than you found it. You know, maybe fixing the little thing that needs to be fixed, touching up a little paint that needs to be touched up, maybe vacuuming the carpet, cleaning the floors, you, you get me? Making sure the, the next people to have the space have a place that at least is better than you found it. Now, I, I hope you believe, because I certainly do, not that there was any major problems or any major issues, not that there was any conflict or any controversy, but in the last year or so, I feel like my family and I are leaving Younger's Creek better than we found it. Not that there was any major issue or any major problem, but I just feel like God has been faithful, amen? That He's brought us through this with His hand, and we're leaving on a better footing. Would you agree? I feel that way. The second principle that I've learned to live by is people remember you for how you finish, not for how you begin. And no one remembers the starting line. People remember the finish line. Uh, no one remembers how you got out of the blocks, if you think of a runner. 
It's how you come across the end. And so I, I've always attempted, always attempted in all of these interim ministries, because you know they're eventually going to come to a close, to finish well, finish strong. Don't let up off the gas. Don't ease into the ending, because people remember for how you finish more so than how you begin. And I'd like to finish well today, if you would allow me to do so. Now, I know probably many of you are not going to remember the first sermon I preached. <laughs> Honestly, I don't remember the first sermon I preached. I don't remember half of the ones I've shared here. But maybe today you would just remember how we finish. Uh, Romans chapter 16 is a final set of instructions by Paul, who's finishing his letter well. We began this on Wednesday night, and if you were not able to join us, don't worry, you'll, you'll understand the meaning. Paul, in Romans chapter 16, is finishing what is his longest letter of the entire New Testament that he wrote. Sixteen chapters. Fifteen chapters are nothing but thick theology and, and doctrine and, and arguments that are really, really important to the believing community there in Rome. It's, 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 it's what most theologians refer to him or this book as his systematic theology. It's his magnum opus. It's his life's work, if you will. It's a masterpiece. And he comes to the end in chapter 16 and He's needing to land the ship. He's needing to draw it to a close. He's written 16 chapters at this point. And he begins in the first 16 verses, as you can see there in your Bibles, giving final greetings to people that he knew there in Rome. And we talked on Wednesday night how these individuals were people that he wanted the church there in Rome to greet. People like Phoebe and Priscilla and Aquila and many others, nearly 30 names mentioned directly or indirectly of people that he wanted them to greet and wanted them to welcome and wanted them to, to make comfortable and, and make it home. He ends in verse 16 of chapter 16 with, greet one another with a holy kiss. And I thought we might practice that. Maybe not. Maybe later. That would be the... That's right. No, we're not going to try that in flu season. Because he wanted them to have an affection for each other, a true, genuine affection. But he changes in chapter 16, verse 17, from the final greetings to some final instructions. And that's where I'd like us to begin. I want to share just a few final instructions with you. Not like a captain who's giving instructions to a ship that's going down. That's not what's happening. And it's not even someone who's alerting everyone in a sense of urgency. It's not that at all. It's just some instructions that will help you and hopefully will serve you. Because all of my call here for the last year or so has been to be a friend and to be a help and to be an encourager. And I think that's what Paul wants to do in these verses. So we begin reading in verse 17. I'm going to read through verse 20 here just as we hear his final instructions. Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those 
who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good, and be innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Paul shares some instructions. I'm just going to give you three. He might have had a few more. Uh, The first instruction I would give that I think Paul gives here is watch out for troublemakers and watch out for obstacle creators. Watch out for troublemakers and watch out for obstacle creators. Now, in Paul's letter the troublemakers or the obstacle creators were doing so specifically on the issues of doctrine, teaching, the instruction that they would give to new believers. It seems as though in this context, there are some who were teaching very different things than Paul would teach or the apostles would teach. It's probably the leading reason he wrote 15 chapters of theology and doctrine and explanation of the important things to try to counter what had been taught wrongly. But he even says it's that some of the troublemakers and the obstacle creators are doing so for their own personal benefit, their own personal appetites. They're trying to deceive the naive or the young in the faith. And Paul just outright says, avoid them. Stay away from them. Keep your distance. They were having a theological malfunction. And he's just trying to give them good guidance and good wisdom to make sure that they steer away from those that are just in the business of causing problems and creating obstacles. Now, I don't believe we have troublemakers and obstacle creators here at Younger's Creek over theology over the teaching, over the instruction, over the doctrine. I don't think that is any way, shape, or form present here. Now, in some churches I've served, that was an issue. And in some churches I've attended, that was the issue where you needed to be wise of certain individuals who were just trying to change and distort and confuse young believers because of bad doctrine. I'll give you one example of a church. It's probably the most idiotic of things I had ever heard. And that's why it makes for a good example, because it's so out of the sorts. One church I served was a non-denominational church. And there was a, a husband and wife who wanted to try a ministry out in the community. This was their ministry approach. They were going to walk through neighborhoods and look for garbage, trash, litter that was strewn about in the neighborhoods, and they were going to walk up to the home of that 
house where the garbage was and try to give a prophetic word about what the garbage meant to that family. That's idiotic. So someone leaves a milk jug out or it doesn't get taken by the garbage man and they walk up and see milk jug and they walk up to the door, knock on the door and say, here's a prophetic word about your need for spiritual milk. It's idiotic. And we laugh and chuckle, but I promise you, I can't make this up. Because if I was really making up an extreme, odd ministry, I would never think garbage prophecy. But that's what they wanted to do. And I can remember sitting in a deacon's meeting with this couple presenting this ministry approach, and I'm looking around at the other deacons, and I'm wondering, who is going to say the obvious? You're out of your flipping mind. You're out of your mind. What are you talking about? But in that particular church, because they wanted to be a lot more loose with the doctrine and with the teaching and with the instruction of Scripture, no one was willing to call it what it was except Baptist in the room. And I said, find that in the Bible and I'll agree to it. Well, it's not in the Bible. I think we ought to say no. And we said no. And so they off they went to another church that let them do their garbage prophecy. I still see the husband and wife in Walmart from time to time. <laughs> That's the problem when you live in the town with crazies. You see them at Walmart, right? You see them from time to time. That's not a problem we're having here. There's nothing that I would say is... Uh, contrary to Scripture, contrary to the teaching, contrary to the doctrine... But could we have the potential of obstacle creators when it comes to some big-time big decisions in the future? Could Brother Tim discover some obstacle creators? Could we have some obstacle creators when we think about how we're going to use the reserves in our bank account? Could we have some obstacle creators when we come to the discussion about how to best serve our community that may require us to do some things differently? Could we have some obstacle creators if we want to do more than just a drum set, but we might want to do an <gasps> electric guitar? Plug it in. Could we have obstacle creators when maybe we want to do something more for our kids or our students? Sure we can. But here's the principle, folks. Here's the principle. Discussion does not mean division. Hear me out. Discussion does not mean division. Can we have a discussion and not be divided? Yes. Let me try that again. Can we have a discussion and not be divided? Yes. Is discussion okay? Yes. Are ideas being offered okay? Yes. It's not creating an obstacle or creating trouble. If you have an idea that you bring up for a discussion, it's not even an obstacle or trouble if you have a disagreement. Disagreement doesn't mean division. You see, you can have a contrary opinion, and it does not mean discord. Have any of you in your families ever had a disagreement, but still were united? Of course. Of course. Some of you can think of one you had like yesterday. The key for a church in this size is to allow for discussion, is to allow for a contrary opinion, but when a decision has been made, you go together united. You go together united. 
And you don't stir in the back rooms and you don't talk in the parking lots and you don't make a phone call, make a text, send an email, collude with others. No, when, when you come together, you just unite together. Because you would think in a church that's smaller, and your church would be in that category, that it would be easier to make a decision, but exactly the opposite. The churches that are larger don't have open discussions on items of discussion because there's just too many people. Leadership primarily makes decisions. Staff probably makes decisions. Elders, deacons make decisions. And the body never really even gets invited to discuss. But in a church this size, there's an opening for discussion because of the community. And the key here, friends, the key, you still have your discussion. But when a decision's made, don't be in discord. Just move forward. Because in reality, there are only one type of things that don't change. Dead things. Living things grow and change. You're a living congregation. Therefore, you must grow and change. The minute you say, we're never going to try, we're never going to do, we're never going to go, we're never going to adapt, you've begun the death process. And you're not dead. Trust me, you're not dead. you got much to be excited about. So watch out. Second instruction. Second word here from Paul. He says in verse 19 that the Romans have become known for their obedience. Look at verse 19 with me. For your obedience is known to all so that I rejoice over you. Think about this. Paul's probably writing this letter some four or five, maybe a thousand miles away. But somehow, through the course of the reputation of the Roman church, it has crossed the Mediterranean Sea, it's crossed multiple countries, and Paul is learning through the reports of others of just their obedience. At this point in his ministry, he's never been there. He's longed to go there. He ultimately will land there as part of his arrest and his appeal to Caesar at the end of his life. But at this point, he just has heard the good reports about their obedience. And that report is bringing him joy and he's rejoicing at the fact that they're known for their obedience. My instruction, encouragement to you is be known for your obedience above all else. There was a, a man who was interviewed recently after the hurricane that hit Key West. And out of all the devastation that was around him, his house, which also included a business, withstood. And the interviewer, the reporter, came to him and he's there still cleaning up branches and lots of devastation, but his house is intact. And the reporter asked him, Sir, how is it that every house on the right and the left and the front and the back of you is completely demolished, but your house has withstood? And he said, Well, I followed the Florida statutes for building codes. They told me to use 
certain size and certain dimensions of building materials, and I just obeyed the law, obeyed the rules, and that's what I built my house and my business uh, to, to meet code. And he said, and I guess the people who know things about hurricanes and know things about storms put those codes in place because they knew that Florida received terrible hurricanes. And these were to protect and to make secure. And so his answer was really naive. He just basically said, I did what they told me I was supposed to do. But I guess my neighbors around me chose not to follow the codes. Now there's some wisdom there. His house and business withstood because he followed the guidelines prescribed by the state of Florida. He obeyed the codes. And in so many ways, we will withstand, we will withstand changes in culture, changes in society, even ebb and flow of morality. We will withstand those if we obey God's guidance and God's laws. If we really let the book, the code, guide us, we can hold up to the most of changing of surroundings. Amen? There's a reality here that this man had obeyed. And, and my encouragement to you is, is be known for your obedience. It, wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great if the reputation of Younger's Creek in Nelson County, Hardin County, this area, the reputation of Younger's Creek would be this. Those folks at the creek obey Jesus above all else. I don't know what kind of music they got. I don't know what kind of staff they got. I don't know what kind of ministries they got. I do know this. They obey Jesus above everything else. They are just the most obedient Christ followers I've ever heard of. Wouldn't it be great if that was your reputation? It'd stand out in a world that's full of all kinds of storms. See, the Romans were known for their obedience they weren't known for their preferences. They weren't known for their, their history or their staff. They weren't known for times when things split or tragedy struck. We've had all that here in the past. They were known for their obedience. I want Younger's Creek to be the kind of place it's not remembered for anything else than the obedience they have to Christ. What a statement it would be that you would overhear some folks at the Kroger. Just overhear them in the aisle. Say, I don't know much about what's going on in this community, but I know there are some people out at Younger's Creek that obey Jesus. It would be an amazing testimony to your obedience. Lastly, third instruction. Paul says, I want you to be wise as to what is good. This is verse 19. And innocent to what is evil. Be wise to what is good and innocent to what is evil. You know, friends, it's, it's tough at times, particularly in weeks like this, to recognize 
what is good in our world. In a tragedy like we experienced this week, we see evil, we see brokenness, we see ache. But there are things that are good. You know, God is good. Amen? God is good. Even as we learned last week in Adam's message, even when God has to discipline and correct, He's still good. God is good. Is Jesus our Savior good? Amen. Amen, He's good. He was good to come on our behalf, and He was good to die on our behalf, and He's good to offer His love to all who would receive it. Jesus is good, amen? Amen. I believe God's Spirit is good, do you? To give us illumination to the Word, to give us guidance in our life, to give us comfort. Uh, The first sermon I'm going to preach next Sunday at Clarkson Baptist Church is out of 1 Corinthians, and it's about a God of all comfort. Do you know where God's comfort comes from? It comes from God's Spirit. The comforter, the counselor, the helper, the one that comes to us in our greatest need and gives us something that we cannot receive from anyone else. God's Spirit is good. I believe God's Word is good. Do you? I believe God's Word speaks to us when we don't even really know what we're looking for. Uh, The Word of God can come to us in ways that we think we're just reading a book and instead it's piercing to our very soul. Do you believe God's Word is good? You know, I believe God's people are good. I believe the fellowship of God's people is good. I don't know about you, but when I come to the creek, I get encouraged. I can have a really, really rough week, a really, really hard week. And on Wednesday night when I get in here, you know what? I just see Miss Loretta smiling and others... Lee comes and gives me one of those bear hugs. You feel good because there's a place where you can be yourself and you can be loved. I believe we have a good thing here. Do you? I believe there's lots that's good. I believe our kindness is good. And I believe that showing hospitality is good. And if anything, Yonkers Creek is known for, it's good food. Do you have some good food? Amen. We're going to have some here in a minute. I know it. I think the gospel is good. It's good to know that any sinner can come to the loving Savior and be forgiven of all sin. That's good. You know, there's much that we can think on that's good. Paul says, be wise as to what is good. Church, just focus on what is good. Lastly, Paul says in verse 20, and the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. You know what's the goodest of good, if that's even allowed? Is that God is victorious over evil. And God in His kindness and in His way allows even us to participate in His goodness to see the destruction and the defeat of the evil one, Satan himself. Isn't God good? Amen. Amen. Paul closes in verse 25, and that's where I'm going to close. He does what we call a doxology, a benediction. He prays a prayer over them, and he concludes with what we pray with an amen. So I'm just going to ask you, 
as I shared this doxology, this benediction over you, I'm just going to ask you to bow your heads and receive this. As Paul shared with them, his brothers and sisters in Rome, I share with you, my brothers and sisters here, Romans 16, verse 25 through 27. Now to Him who is able to strengthen you according to the gospel and to the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed, and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Lord God, we just thank you for this moment. We thank you for this season. And we thank you for the good gospel of Jesus Christ that is offered to us all. Lord, I pray that for the future that is to come for Younger's Creek, God, that there would be discussion without discord. There would be unity without uniformity. There would be life without dissent. I pray, God, that you would just move in your power in the days to come. Lord, I thank you for the kind offer to be with this church for the last year or so as a friend and as a helper. And I pray, God, that they have heard from you today about how we can continue to walk together into the days ahead. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.